1: Welcome to episode number 143 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. I am
2: one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our theme today is Looking Ahead in the Rearview Mirror, Raising Baby New Year from 2016. Absolutely. So this is a look
1: back as we look forward, and it's a a replay of our Episode 70. Now, this happened just after the big election between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, and it it was an interesting moment in time. Uh, that we didn't spend a lot of time talking about, you know, the politics or anything like that. But it's just kind of amazing to me, Dan, how, <laughs> I hate to say it, but how little has actually changed. As you're listening to our guest speak, you're going to feel like it, it, we just recorded it today.
2: Yeah, nothing's really changed. In fact, it, some could say it got worse. With gun rights. With gun rights, Yes.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit frustrating uh, that we've had the presidency, the House, the Senate, and we thought that, boy, our gun rights are just really super secure. And instead, um, here we are still having the same conversations.
2: But I do want to give credit for what is due. And the fact that we've got some uh, Kavanaugh in as a justice Supreme Court, that's going to help a lot.
1: Absolutely. Well, we've got to dive right in because it is a jam-packed show. You don't want to miss any, even a second of it. So uh, grab some champagne and a party horn and step into the Wayback Machine with us as we go back to the day before the year 2017 began. This is episode number 70. This is our New Year's Eve show and Thus, you hear a little bit of "Auld Lang Syne" playing there in the background, kind of a boogie woogie version. I am Cheryl Todd. I am one
2: of your hosts, and I'm Dan Todd. Happy New Year! Welcome to the show. We've got a great lineup today. We have Chuck Holton. He is a host of Frontlines, an NRA TV series. He's an American War Correspondent for the Christian Broadcasting Network, a publisher, a published author, and a motivated motivational speaker. We have Lars Smith the Vice President of the California Chapter of the Liberal Gun Club, a national organization which seeks to ensure and educate liberal voice in debates over gun control and Second Amendment. She is here to talk to us about a new surge of interest among the gun and gun rights among left-leaning liberals. Our second hour, we have Lars Delside. He's a spokesman for the NRA ILA, the Institute for Legislative Action, and is a former producer of NRA News. We also have Minista Jazz. She's, she's a, a de-escalation specialist educating and engaging traditionally oppressed communities about their rights as U.S. citizens, particularly regarding the Second Amendment rights.
1: We also have a responsibly armed citizen report and Dan's commentary. Mm. All right. So our theme today, did you say what our theme was? Raising Baby New Year. Raising Baby New Year. Every 12 months, we get an opportunity to take a moment, reflect on the year that has passed, and plan for how we want to do things different or better with the year that is just being born. We have all seen the cartoon depiction of Baby New Year, the little diaper-clad toddler that represents the unspoiled opportunity to raise this baby right. And with proper care and feeding and attention to the needs of this infant, we have hope of a good and prosperous year and times ahead. What does this mean for you personally? We all say, you know, I'm going to eat better, I'm going to exercise more, maybe pay off those credit cards, those sorts of things. But what if you committed to making this the year that you learned a new skill? If you're an accomplished shooter, maybe learn some physical disciplines like offhand shooting. If you're a well-practiced shooter, then, you know, at those skills, then maybe focus on some mental disciplines like martial arts for greater concentration and focus. If you aren't ready to begin shooting yet, but you value your constitutional rights, this might be The perfect time to become more connected with your local, state, and federal elected officials to develop a relationship with the people who were hired by our votes to represent us. You have raised many baby New Year's in the past. How many? 20? 30? 40? This is my 50th baby New Year, and I am determined to give this one the time and attention it needs to grow up, to be a wise old year that i can be proud of
2: so cheryl what is your new year's resolution this year i haven't asked you that yet
1: well you know it's funny because the minute you say resolution i feel like it's doomed to failure and so i i just you know i have some tweaking to do it's not like i have any major overhauls that i'm i'm looking to do last year was kind of the year of saying yes you know we were we traveled so much we went to you know so many different speaking engagements that I was so fortunate so blessed to have been asked uh, to do and uh, it's just opened a ton of uh, doors we I was ca- uh, counting up because we had a meeting with our, our staff at our pot of gold auction house and our AZ firearms uh, yesterday just kind of doing our year in review and, and what's to come And I realized that we've met something like 185 people that we've brought on this show last year, 185 people that we didn't know
2: this time 12 months ago. That's why I told you I'm tired. Yeah. (laughs) Because I knew it. I was counting. (laughs) But how
1: amazing is that? I mean, that just doesn't happen... You know, without, um, you know, a certain level of focus, you know, that you've got a goal in mind. And our goal was just to tell people stories well, you know, and just bring people on and get to know them. And it's a very interesting thing being on the radio like this because I am so naturally curious about people anyway. That I would love the opportunity to have talked to any of the people we've talked to anyway. But then to have a chance to bring them onto a public forum like this and give them uh, a microphone to be able to speak to a larger audience and tell their story and talk about their specialty just makes it even even richer. And so I'm just kind of hoping that the new year is that and more. Uh, rather than any kind of major overhaul. And, of course, I've got the, you know, exercise more, try to eat better thing on my list. But I'm I'm about moderation rather than, you know, putting out a bunch of, like, you, know, you can't have chocolate. Guess what I want
2: then? Right. I think chocolate. I think mine's going to be just learning how to read big words out loud. I like that resolution for you. <laughs> because... The words change. The time I see the word and then say it out of my mouth, it's a completely different word. And I, I think it's magic. Maybe, maybe that's good. I don't know.
1: I think that is a phenomenal thing for you to work on. Maybe my resolution should be not writing so many big words yes, into our I think show she does notes. that.
2: She'll go, what can Danny not say?
1: <laughs> oh, here's one. Oh, shoot. He's on to me absolutely well I wanted to just take a second and you know we always hear the song Auld Lang Syne at New Year's right but do we even really know much about it and I got curious myself and so and there it is like magic playing in the background thank you so much for that Ed our our studio engineer so Auld Lang Syne is a Scottish poem written by Robert Burns in 1788 and set to the tune of a traditional folk song It is well known in many English-speaking countries and is often sung to celebrate the start of the new year at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Day. The song's title may be translated into English literally as Old Long Sense or more idiomatically as Long Long Ago or Days Gone By. The phrase Auld Lang Syne is also used in older folk songs predating Burns. In his retelling of fairy tales in the Scots language, Matthew Fitz uses the phrase in the days of Auld Lang Syne as the equivalent of Once Upon a Time. Bet you didn't know that. I didn't know that. And so uh, there is doubt today whether the melody that we hear now is the same one that Burns used originally, but it is used widely in both Scotland and the rest of the world. And singing it on New Year's Eve very quickly became a Scots custom that soon spread to other parts of the British Isles. So, Canadian band le- leader Guy Lombardo, who we were just hearing, hit that one more time if you could, is often credited with popularizing the use of the song at New Year's celebrations in America through his annual broadcasts on radio and television beginning... As far back as 1929, the song became his trademark. In addition to his live broadcast, he recorded the song more than once, first in 1939 and then in 1947, and is actually a single on Decca Records. Can you imagine this being a, a single? Right? Back when they used to make... Vi- oh, I guess they Will make vinyl wait, records again. You said record? Yeah. But they're making them again, no, so the explain, hipsters know.
2: Explain it to a lot of people that don't know what a record is, Joe.
1: It's some kind of a black plastic. They call it vinyl. It's got some grooves in it. It spins around like a CD, mm-hmm. right? Right.
2: And it <laughs> or plays, a Blu ray. And, so, and then
1: music comes out of it? And music comes out right. of it, just like magic. So that's kind of the story of the song of Old Lang Syne. and it was so fun getting set up for this show because I have different versions that I was able to find out on the interwebs um that's that are going to be our our bump music they call it uh, in the radio biz, right. So in between each uh intro and exit of the show, you'll hear a different and fun version of Old Lang Syne. so. We are going to break for commercial, and when we come back, we have a whole lineup of awesome guests, starting with Chuck Holton. Uh, You know, we've only been able to meet Chuck in person once or twice, but we've had him on the air a couple of times. And he's just one of those guys that the minute you meet him, you feel like you have a kinship with him and, and you've been friends forever. And uh, he's going to be talking to us about uh, what he's been doing with his Frontlines uh, videos and, and news segments. And so uh, maybe a little bit of, of what's to come for 2017 as well. So stick around. You're going to want to hear every minute of today's show, starting with Chuck Holton, right after this.
3: <laughs> Should all-
0: And never brought the mind Should all acquaintance be forgot And all
1: Welcome back to the New Year's Eve edition of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. And our first guest is Chuck Holton. Chuck is the host of Frontlines, an NRA TV series. He's an American war correspondent for the Christian Broadcasting Network. He's a published author and a motivational speaker. His show is called Frontlines, and he has literally been on the front lines as a member of the armed forces, as a war correspondent and journalist, and as the host of the series on NRA News. Welcome to the show, Chuck. Are you with us?
2: I am. How are you, Cheryl?
1: Very well, and Dan is here also.
2: Hi, Chuck. Welcome to the show, and again, thank you for your service. I hope you've had a good year and things are going well.
1: I have. Thanks for that. Very good. I have to just quickly touch on a personal note. Uh, I posted a thing recently about, you know, a dog in your house just kind of being an interesting family member. You know, if you have a peaceful life, you probably don't have a dog. And your comment was, try having a monkey. So so you and your family have have a monkey. Well, we have two monkeys, actually. Um,
2: Yeah. Get two more and you can start a band, Chuck.
0: Nothing more fun than... uh, uh, It's kind of like having a... uh, really athletic two-year-old in your house <laughs> for the rest of your life uh, i'm
1: telling you i can't even very, imagine. you don't need
0: television if you have a monkey That's
1: right true. it is constant um <laughs> entertainment i can only yeah. imagine that it is. Is, it is that is fun
2: so chuck we haven't talked since um a long well it's been quite a while and the Couple elections months, yeah, it's been a, it? a few months yeah and the elections came and uh i think it's good news what do you think about the elections and is the immigration thing going to be an issue for you well, of course, the
0: immigration is, is a huge issue. What we're seeing right now is that there's a tidal wave of people trying to get in the southern border uh, before uh, January 20th. Uh, they, they know that uh, Donald Trump Trump is going to make good on his promise, and they, they believe it at least. And so I was in Tijuana uh, just over a week ago, and there there are over 10,000 Haitians uh, at the place where I was right Oh, gosh, just not even a mile from the fence in Tijuana, uh, massing there and uh, hoping to be able to to jump the fence and get across before uh, Donald Trump takes office. And I um, think
1: that people don't even, you know, you just said Haitians, you know, people right. think that it's always, you know, the Mexican population fleeing oh God, Mexico no. and running into America. And that is clearly not what you just said.
0: No, there were actually people from over 20 different countries, and we're not talking about just Latin American countries. We're talking about Chechnya, Uzbekistan, Nepal, Pakistan, um, Niger, um, Morocco, I mean, all over the world. Uh, Basically, you know, you have to you look at this in in two ways. There's a push factor, and there's a pull factor. The push factor is uh, obviously, you know, war and, and poverty, but those are things that have always existed. So if there, you know, if there's been poverty in, in uh, Congo or Ghana, uh, you know, for time immemorial, uh, why haven't uh, so many people been trying to rush the United States before then? Well, before now, I mean, uh, well, the reason is the pull factor, and the pull factor is the very generous, uh, well, social welfare systems that we have in place that we apply to those people, and the the known uh, factor of the Obama administration's very lax enforcement of uh, immigration law. And so people know, as a matter of fact, I was in Nicaragua last year and saw an infomercial that was produced by CNN uh, that was encouraging people to come to the United States illegally and showing
1: them how to do it. Hmm. Uh, So so it was uh, set up like it, it was a documentary, but you're saying, really... What you were watching no, was, was an infomercial. It, no, it was an infomercial. I mean, they—I—I <laughs> uh, I don't think you could have called it anything but. It
0: was here's how to come to the United States illegally if you want to do it, and here's what you'll get when you get there. And uh, you know, for example, I've, I've tracked a couple of groups uh, as they've come up through Latin America and made their way into the United States. Uh, one group of Cubans that I spoke to. Um, this is a, There was a couple, uh, married couple, that came from the the countryside in Cuba, they they had made about $30 a month uh, total between the two of them. That was their income in Cuba. By the time they made it to the United States, within a week, they had signed up for welfare and uh, various other benefits and were were going to be receiving checks for $3,200 a month uh, for the foreseeable future you can imagine, that'd be, like, be like somebody saying to you, hey, Cheryl, if you can just make it to the Canadian border, we'll pay you $2.6 million a year. Oh uh, you know, gosh. And uh, so you almost can't blame them. I right. mean, if somebody's handed out free cookies, well, you can't blame people for getting in line. Right. Um, but that's, that creates this incredible sucking sound, and we're pulling people <laughs> from all over the globe. And as we've talked about before, you know, that also creates an opportunity for people that hate us, like yeah. ISIS, to infiltrate people into that that stream and get them into the United States as well.
2: So they're waiting at the borders right now. What are they waiting for? I mean,
0: oh, they're not waiting. They're just there. There's such a massive wave of people uh, that's crossing the border. They they're coming up through Latin America. Uh, it's weird, you know. Cuba's only what, 90 miles or something from, from the United States. But rather than try to come across the water, because the Coast Guard is doing a pretty good job of stopping them that way, they're going to Ecuador and then riding chicken buses all the way up through, and then they walk across Darien Gap in Panama, and then they take buses all the way up through, with, with the help of these Latin American governments that, you know, they don't want them. Right. So, you don't know, they get stay to the, here. The,
1: Keep going. That's right.
0: And they get to the, the southern border of Mexico. Mexico puts them on a bus and say, takes them to the northern border and drops them off and um, and helps them get here. So uh, once they get there, then they, you know, form a group, jump the fence, and typically just turn themselves into Border Patrol because they know that uh, the worst thing that can happen to them is that they'll be detained for about six months and then they'll be given a hearing uh, for uh, asylum. And if they're given, granted asylum, then they're just let, let go. If they're not granted asylum, And they're from uh, many of these countries, like Cuba, Pakistan, uh, Somalia, uh, Afghanistan. um, Oh, gosh, there's, there's like 30 different countries that refuse to take their people back. So let's say that they're from Pakistan, and they get refused asylum, and the United States says, you have to leave. But we cannot deport them back to their own country, because their own country, Pakistan, will not accept them. And one of the things that Donald Trump has talked about is that we need to impose sanctions on these countries that won't take their people back. So if we can't hold them and we can't deport them, even if they're not granted asylum, they're essentially just allowed to leave and they just go free. And they're told, you've got to leave the U.S. But off you go, you know.
1: Let me ask you this question. So we, it's not even a question. I think I'm making a statement. So we Americans are racist if we say, no, thank you, you know, come in the right way otherwise we need to send you home but their own country they're not racist if they're saying I don't want them back don't send them here why well, are we the bad guys like in that liberal, scenario
0: but now you, you now you're talking like a liberal and uh, you know <laughs> the the foundational precept of liberalism <laughs> is is the the negation of truth or the fact they, they, they believe that there is no such thing as truth and when you accept a statement uh, as your foundational precept of your worldview, that it's true that there is no truth, that's a self-contradictory worldview, you can believe anything. Hmm. So, of course, you know, somebody who says the loving thing to do would be not steal money from our current citizens to buy votes from non-citizens and bring them in here, Uh, that would be the loving thing to do for all involved. Uh, Of course, they can see that good thing as a bad thing and something that we know to be bad, that is you know, bringing these people in, uh, you know, the, I, I really kind of see it as the government trying to elect itself a new people rather than the people electing a new government. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, the right. liberals believe if we can just get enough of these people in here and and give them enough benefits, and they're going to vote for us, and we will solidify our, uh, you know, our rule for generations. Um, and, and I think that we have a very good, albeit probably short, opportunity right now to do something about that and to, to push back the the snarling hordes, uh, and yeah. and uh, hopefully uh, you know put the brakes on on that for for some time.
2: Well, Chuck, you'll be happy to know since Cheryl's talking like a liberal, I pushed away from her. And when we get home, she's going to go in the corner for about a half an hour. <laughs> well, just There's give no me my talking. just
1: give me my cocoa, my blankie, and I my will. coloring book, and I'll
2: be yeah, okay. a her to her. <laughs> safe space. Yeah, hey, her Chuck, her safe space. what is the uh, is it hard to get from those other Latin uh, those countries to Mexico or uh, do they have a border uh, that has fences on the other end
0: well no I mean what's uh, look every one of these countries doesn't want these people so when they show up in Panama Panama buses them to the northern border of Panama with Costa Rica and says now look the border with Costa Rica is officially closed you're not allowed to cross there, but you can't stay here. You have to leave. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Uh-huh. And so these people cross the border illegally. They get picked up in Costa Rica. By, by international treaty, Costa Rica cannot send them back to Panama because they're not Panamanian. So Costa Rica buses them to the northern border with Nicaragua and says, You cannot stay here in Costa Rica, but you can't go to Nicaragua by, by law. Wink, wink, nod, nod. And they cross illegally, and they get picked up in Nicaragua, and so on and so forth all the way north into the United States.
2: So ISIS could be coming here by the hundreds, right? I believe ISIS, I I believe we should
0: take them at their word. They say they're doing it. They, you know, they've put it out there. We are doing this, and and we're doing it in in Europe, and we're doing it in the United States. And so we ought to take them at their word. We ought to believe it.
1: Right. It's like we're saying, oh, no, you're not. No, you're not ISIS. And the guy's like, yes, I am. This is what I'm doing. This for No, No, that's
0: not... (laughs) <laughs> no, we really want to destroy your, 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 your society. No, you don't. No, yeah. you're, you're really nice people. We're going to let you in and give Chuck, you some
2: welfare. you've been on the other side, and you've seen these people uh, p- with pain. I mean, their feet swollen with sores and uh, robbed and beaten and everything else. And we, we, we do care about these people. Of course. But of course. What, what can Trump do to help them but yet not let them come across our border? Well, first of
0: all, Dan, it's, it's like five times more costly to bring one of those people here than to help them where they are. Right. So if there's people in Cuba, or if there's people in Somalia, or if there's people in Ghana or Pakistan that are destitute, that need our help, if there's people in Syria or Iraq that are, are hurting and need our help, it's far cheaper for us to send help to them than it is for us to try to bring them to our country. So Obama has, has vastly increased the number of Syrians coming to the United States. Well, guess what? With the same amount of money that we, we brought 50,000 Syrians to the United States, we could have helped... 250,000 Syrians in Syria or in them, Iraq. And in kept Iraq. them
2: home, yeah, and kept them home.
0: Uh, uh, right, right. Look, this is not refugee. These, these people are not refugees. These people are not seeking refuge with us with the intent of going home someday. I've been in Europe, I've been in the United States, and I've talked to these refugees, and I've asked them, are you planning to go home? And they say never. Then no. Why, why would they? Here. This mm-hmm. is the largest mass migration in modern times. And it's not... <laughs> Uh, look, I was just in Iraq, and I was I was at the re- the refugee camps in in Kurdistan, and the, and those refugee camps are full of women, children, and old men. But if you go to the refugee camps at Treiskirchen in in Austria, for example, uh, what you see is military age males. There were twenty five hundred people there, and I saw one woman, and wow. and they're military age males, and those military age males have no intention of bringing their women and children. Over with them someday. I went, I, I, for hours walked up and down the sidewalk and talked to these guys and said, D- "Where are your women?" And they said, "We we don't have women. We're going to get women here. Mm-hmm. They have every intention of getting women in Austria. The problem is they don't understand how Austrian culture works. Mm-hmm. They don't, you know, in their culture you almost you know whack them over the head and drag them by the hair over back to your house. You know, I mean, well, they're doing that in I'm Europe."
2: They're doing I'm that in Germany right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, right, absolutely. Yeah. It's Gropestan in, <laughs> in Austria now. Okay. It's I mean, really, I've, I, I have a friend that's an Austrian lawyer, a lady that, that lives in Vienna. And she says, "I'm afraid to go running anymore because I get heckled and I get harassed. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid to take the metro anymore mm-hmm. because it feels like I'm in Istanbul. It doesn't feel like I'm in in, in Austria." And and this is a woman who uh, a year ago was all for bringing these people over. Hey, these people have a right to come here. They need, everybody needs a place to live. That's correct. They do, and we should be we should be charitable to these people. But the most loving thing we can do is to help them keep. The homeland that they're leaving and that is let's wipe out isis let's send our very rough men in there to shoot those people in the face and then let's (laughs) uh, allow those people to come back into their communities and rebuild them and we look i don't believe that we should be giving weapons and ammunition to those to, to anybody in the world and this is one way to keep us out of wars that we shouldn't be in, okay? What we need to do is we need to say what the, what, what the Americans will do, because we have the finest fighting force in the history of the planet, is if somebody needs to be killed, we will go kill them, and then we'll leave. And if you want to rebuild your country and make it a Jeffersonian democracy, have at it. We'll send you some support through the State Department. But if you want to rebuild it into some terrorist nation and threaten us again, we'll come in there and reboot your country again for you. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But we're not going to send you weapons. We're not going to send you materiel because we know that those things are durable and fungible, and they will eventually be shooting back at us at some point. And so we're not going to do that.
1: Yes. All right. Let us run to commercial real quick. But when we come back, I want to talk more about the time that you just spent in Iraq and maybe even touch a little bit on the the weaponry that's being used over there. That uh, a lot of it originated, you know, with America's aid and right. America it being sure over did. there. So, all right. Sure stick did. around. We've got much more coming up with Chuck Holton right on the other side of this version of Old Lang Syne and a couple of commercials. Well, that makes me want to say yee right it sounds there. Sounds like we're in Disneyland. I know. Well, welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio. This is our New Year's <laughs> edition, and that's just a fun version of "Old Lang Syne right there. <laughs> Everybody's dancing in the studio right now. Not everybody. <laughs> oh, Dan doesn't dance. I'm sorry. Uh, All right, well, welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio. Our theme today is Raising Baby New Year, and we've been talking with uh, Chuck Holton. Now, Chuck Holton has literally been on the front lines as a member of our armed forces and a war correspondent and journalist. And so when we left off, we were talking about the time that uh, you spent in Iraq recently, Chuck. Now, that could not have been a vacation uh, in any sense of the word. And you know, in our previous segment, we, we've been giving the liberals a little bit of the raz. Uh, but my, my next guest coming up is uh, the vice president of the Liberal Gun Club, Lara Smith, and I don't want her to, to not answer her phone. So, I I want,
0: <laughs> you know. well, Cheryl, I I, I, uh, I do get paid quite a bit better to get shot at nowadays than I used to. Well, that's true. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, right? <laughs> and, right. But, and uh, in, in Iraq, this, this is my. Uh, this trip was my third trip in the space of the last 12 months. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the fight against ISIS has uh, really resulted in some of the most fierce combat that we've seen in really in in, in a decade, I mean, a, a long time. Uh, and so, but the, the thing is, we haven't had a lot of U.S. troops in that uh, combat. So I've been out with the Peshmerga. We've been out with the Iraqi Special Forces. Uh, and we have been with U.S. troops here and there. But, um, yeah, this trip was uh, certainly not a comfortable trip. Uh, there is a lot of serious fighting going on for the, the city of Mosul. And I think one of the things that we kind of don't understand is that, you know, Barack Obama has gone around and around the country uh, saying the same lines over and over in his speeches that we ended the war in Iraq. We said we we're going to end the war in Iraq, and we ended it. We ended the war in Iraq. Well... <laughs> that, for that reason, they haven't really wanted us to know mm. how many troops that we have on the ground in Iraq right mm-hmm. now. Right? I'll tell you, it's between six and 9,000 people, and that actually, Cheryl, is more troops than we had on the ground in Afghanistan when we defeated the Taliban in 2002. So uh, the, the the lie that we have ended the war in Iraq is just that. I mean, it, it's, it's a big, fat whopper. And um, now... What we've done is we've actually exacerbated the problem because we pulled out too soon. We, um, we allowed Iran to come in and, and uh, exercise a tremendous amount of influence with the Iraqi government and the Iraqi army, and that created more division in that part of the world. And so everybody now is, has decided to push uh, ISIS out of Mosul, which is uh, the second largest city in Mesopotamia. Over, it used to be over 2 million people and uh the Iraqi army which has been receiving training from the United States since about 2004 2005 um, is really not doing very well i hate to say it uh they they attacked Mosul with about with over 70,000 troops and uh isis by most accounts had about 5,000 uh fighters inside the city so you'd think that that would be over pretty quick well, in the month of November, I, uh, ISIS killed over 2,000, well, almost 2,000 uh, Iraqi troops, uh, so much so that they pretty much fought the Iraqi army to a standstill. And the Iraqi army has not yet taken half of Mosul. So uh, we were with the Iraqi army as they were pushing in from the east, the, the Iraqi special forces. And, uh, the, you know, the Iraqis are fighting Stalingrad. Uh, as you probably know, uh, urban warfare is the most most lethal and mm-hmm. horrible uh, form of combat you can you can ever have. Right. But the Iraqi army is fighting it about like the the Russians uh, fought in in Stalingrad back in World War II. And so, what I mean is, they haven't really changed their tactics a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But uh, but ISIS is taking full advantage of modern technology, and um, and they're they're. They're winning. I mean, I, I wouldn't say they're winning, but I mean, they're, they're actually really creating havoc among the Iraqi army. So, for example, they're taking off-the-shelf drone technology from DJI, same kind of drones that many of us got for Christmas. And they're using those drones to direct their fighters uh, to do reconnaissance and surveillance and even to direct their, their uh, vehicle-borne IEDs, their car bombs, into uh, to the targets into the places where they will do the most damage. Hmm. And uh we've seen over 600 car bombs already in uh, in Mosul. Now it's the United States uh, since the well when the when the attack on Mosul first started the uh, Obama administration tried to make a big deal about how we were fighting the the war, in Mo- because they believed it was going to be over pretty quick. It was going to look like a great victory, mm. and they wanted to take credit for it. So they said, oh, yes, we're fighting in Mosul alongside, and really what we were doing is dropping bombs, uh, you know, and, and providing uh, aerial surveillance and that sort of thing. So if we were fighting, it was fighting remotely. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that the fighting has stalled, you don't hear a lot out of the uh, Obama administration about uh, us being there or us helping out with that. Part of the problem is that our uh, fighting remotely doesn't work very well when there's still about 700,000 civilians inside Mosul, Uh, most of whom, I mean, they'd like to leave, but they know that if they do that their house and everything they own probably won't be there when they come back. Um, Many of them are are still, they're Sunni, and since ISIS is Sunni, they still sort of support, kind of halfway support ISIS, um, and and so they they really are not leaving. They, they're gonna they're gonna be pushed out. I mean, they are leaving in droves, but there's still a lot of people there, and it makes it really hard to to drop bombs, uh, you know, from from the sky when you're going to be ripping apart civilians and and uh, all of the horrible imagery that that creates. Right. ISIS is also <clears throat> beating us in what I would call the media battle space. Uh, that is the the, the twitter the twitter verse <laughs> right. um, they're they're beating us on social media they 're putting out very well produced videos they're putting out uh, lots and lots of information and sending out pictures whenever we hit a, a you know a civilian or hurt a civilian or anything like that and uh, you know the United States has become so there's so much institutional timidity because of the obama administration uh so much of the the pentagon uh, is is uh, gosh, just almost afraid of its own shadow. I mean, we right. have a very long tooth-to-tail ratio now, and uh, it, you know, uh, in in Iraq alone, with six to nine thousand troops, we've got like thirty-two generals there right now, wow. and and that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot. And so these people are stepping on each other, and they are. What what I saw on this trip. This is the the biggest point I want to make. What I saw on this trip is that the United States has lost a ton of credibility in that part of the world because that culture, Iraqi culture, respects the strong horse. Mm-hmm. And so when we were there in 2004, 2005, and we sent a patrol out down the road, boy, people pulled over and got out of the way. They didn't get anywhere near us. And now when, when, when we have guys out on patrol, the Iraqi army stops them and says, you go park over there and you stay there until I'm ready to talk to you wow and and
1: it's we like do the it. bully doing the shoulder check to the person that, that they don't yeah. respect hey chuck we're yeah. running out wow. of time
2: but i have to ask you i mean I, i've never been in the military but last week i saw the video i i made a mistake and i watched the video of the two uh turkish uh soldiers that were burnt did you see that video
0: i didn't i, I don't watch those videos okay. I, you, I know, mean, you, you know yeah. what's going to happen so i'm not gonna, I'm well, not gonna put the, that the, the reason that. <laughs>
2: but here's the thing that really upset me about it i I don't know why I watched it, but I did. And at the very end of it, well, during the end of it, he made a point to show his U.S.-made M16 on his uh, body, uh, uh-huh. the, the guy that was doing the attacking. Um, yeah. and, and it just, it, it made me even more mad because this gun was a U.S.-made gun that was That's used right. against our allies. Um, We have given
0: billions and billions and billions of dollars of material and weapons to the Iraqi army. The Iraqi army then, back in 2014, dropped everything and ran away uh, and left Mosul to ISIS. ISIS then captured and and immediately became the most well-armed terrorist group in the history of mankind. Uh, not only that, but the most well-funded, because they, you know, captured hundreds of millions of dollars from the banks in Mosul.
2: And that was so, from um, our leader, our, our leader Obama, that's caused this to happen.
0: Well, like I say, I mean, it's never a good idea. I don't think it's ever a good idea to uh, for us to to give material and weapons to uh, even to our allies, because you well, we have a history of seeing that it up. doesn't work out well. So you right. think we I would mean, even stop? Today, yeah, even today we're seeing the weapons that we left in Vietnam showing up in Mexico. Mm. So, uh, and, and those things, like I said, they're durable and fungible, mm-hmm. and they will show up somewhere we don't want them to at some point. So we need to keep control of those things. And if it's worth doing, mm-hmm. if somebody really needs to be taken out, then we need to go do it. Mm-hmm. And if it's not worth it for us to, to risk our men and women in
2: combat to do it, then maybe it's not worth doing. Yeah, you see I what agree. I'm saying? I like that know.
0: would keep us out of these unnecessary wars. I
2: have one Absolutely. other question. Are you going to the shot show chuck? Yes, sir. Okay. Oh, yep, so I'll be we, there. We have to meet, so um Absolutely. Please. That's in
1: Vegas coming up in, in January. So thank you again so much, Chuck, for coming on. We've got to have you on more often because you always have so much to tell us because you're not sitting there watching pre uh, regurgitated news stories. You're out there on the front lines. You're seeing it with your own eyes, and that's why we feel like you're such a valuable <laughs> source of truth. So...
0: I think I think pre-gurgitated is a, is a really good uh, description, actually.
2: <laughs> that's, that's a good one. All right. It hey, it's
0: good to be with you guys. Uh, hey, I look you- forward to seeing you SHOT.
2: Bring your monkeys with you to the <laughs> SHOT show.
0: Yeah, I wish. Yeah, uh, maybe I, not. I'm training them to be tactical attack monkeys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Love it.
1: I love it. All right. Thanks so much, Chuck Holton from NRA News. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Well, when we come back, we have got some great guests lined up. Stick around and enjoy this version of "All Lang
3: Syne.
1: Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio,
2: and we're wishing everybody a happy new year. Yeah, you know, you said welcome the baby into the new year, and I just hope that the baby new year doesn't have to have uh, cocoa and blankets for too long, and that it stands up and takes care of business.
1: You know, we've been hearing a lot about that. They call them the snowflakes, right?
2: The young, uh,
1: Careful, you know, You've
2: just offended somebody. I know, right?
1: Snowflake. I know. Okay. Well, I didn't even know that word until we were on the air and somebody said it and had to explain it to me. But you know, it's the college age and younger that uh people that they just can't handle any kind of adversity and coming up in our next hour we have Minister Jazz who deals with conflict de-escalation, and she's going to give us some, some tools to use as we encounter people who think differently, differently than we do. And, you know, we, we give the, the Raz a little bit here and there to people that are on, you know, in a different wavelength thought wavelength than we are, but we try to do it in good humor. We try to do it understanding that whatever we dish out, we better be willing, willing to take. And, um, you know, that we don't have to be so div- divided, divisive, and staunchly in our corner all the time and against people who think differently than us. Maybe we can absorb some of their thought processes hoping that they will do the
2: same for us. I think this year we all need to be a little stronger. Absolutely.
1: All right. Well, waiting on the line, we have miss lara smith now lara is a lawyer she lives near san francisco california and is the vice president of the liberal gun club so we have a liberal coming on the show today and she's fully aware of who we are and how we think and we actually enjoy our differences we enjoy a, a hearty and healthy debate and so i'm always excited to bring her on the show lara are you there I am Thank you for having me Absolutely And Dan's here too He's over there In in his chair On his microphone And uh, he almost I see him leaning back He's like Okay I've got Lara and Cheryl I'm not getting a word in here So I'm just going to I'm just going to relax for a minute. Um, okay, so we're short on time today. I ran a little long with the the segment before you, but we wanted to dive straight into a topic that you have been interviewed a lot on lately by the BBC. You've got HBO knocking on your door, wanting to talk to you. And the topic is liberals and guns, because there's this whole new thought process going on with people that, that are of the liberal-leaning democratic mindset uh, about the whole topic of the Second Amendment and guns. And so you straddle both of those worlds. You're the vice president of a gun club, but yet politically you lean towards the, the liberal left. You are a very unique voice out there. So what is going on? What's the new conversation happening? So there's
4: really two conversations happening. There's one that's a very small conversation, and we're not seeing that much of, but there's some out there. Um, Sort of more in the prepper world than specifically sort of the gun world, there are some people on the left who are suddenly realizing, hey, this thing about the government coming after me, maybe I should start worrying about that. That's a really tiny subset, and for the liberal gun club, we're not seeing that so much. But what we are seeing is liberals who are saying, I've seen an increase in my area, and unfortunately, I personally know several people who have direct experiences with this, people who are seeing an increase in hate crime and who are saying, I need to protect myself, and are reaching out to people they know who own guns or who are in the gun world, but because of sort of the stigma of that guns really only belong to the right... Uh, we're seeing more people reaching out to us saying, can you teach me? Can you help me learn about this? I want to learn, but I don't feel welcome. And I think it's incumbent on all of us in the firearms world to tell everybody they're welcome here. Absolutely. And to help out everybody we can.
1: Absolutely.
2: Well, Laura, I think, I think some of the problem is that a lot of um, people that are gun people think that the liberals... They're the enemy. They are. It's like liberals and guns are like water and oil. They don't mix. And I, I welcome it. I'm, I'm glad to see that that the liberals out there are 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 kind of coming into the gun culture because I think it's good for everyone.
4: I think it is too. And I have to say, I've seen a split um, when. I, I've done a bunch of national and international press lately on this issue, and I've seen a split. I'd say most people are, hey, this is great, come over. But there's still that little group who says, man, I don't want those libtards having a gun. And those are the people that I think you we call? all need to say. What did you say, Lord?" <laughs>
1: I'm glad there's you said
4: small, it. Yeah, there's a small group that likes to call us libtards. Okay. And, you know, there's one person in the world who's allowed to call me that. It's one of Cheryl and my personal friends.
2: <laughs> and everybody else, yeah, nobody else okay with me. Well, well, Laura, <laughs> else. Laura I, I have to say, I mean. It's like
1: I can tease Dan about, you know, certain things, but let somebody else criticize my husband. I, I am, right. it's go
2: time, right? Mm-hmm. It's like that. Laura, right. I, I have to say, I mean, um, San Francisco is a very liberal area, right? I right. mean, mostly it's controlled by lib liberal people. And uh, yesterday I heard a, a news uh, thing on Fox that said that S- San Francisco is the highest number of assault crimes and, uh, d- you know, small crimes. Uh, and that's what we're talking about, right? All over the world. I mean, all over the United States. It's the highest. And it's it, it kind of, I understand why they want to get guns now, but aren't the liberals kind of creating this atmosphere And now they need a gun to stop it. Is that? Well, I think we have I think what we need to do is we need to
4: differentiate. I think we need to differentiate between party platform and what the liberals really think, even before the election. The statistic was somewhere between a quarter and a third of all Democrats, people who identified specifically as Democrats, not only as liberals, because, of course, liberal is a much broader spectrum than people who are just Democrats. But about a quarter to a third of Democrats identified as having firearms in the home. So I think this is something that's coming from somewhere in the party. But I do think that what we need to do on the liberal side is start standing up to our party and saying, hey wait a minute, this isn't right, we don't agree with that. California, we've had a really hard time. We have a lieutenant governor who's flat out said he hates guns, and he's run on a platform of that. And there's a lot of people here who just really don't know better. And I think, personally, it's an issue of education. We need to get more liberals out to the gun range to say, hey, look, this is how they work. Here's the difference between a semi-automatic and an automatic. Here's what a firearm does. This is what people use these scary black rifles, really modern sporting rifles. Here's what they do. I actually had a great experience the other day. I happen to have a friend who's a reporter with NPR, and she called me and said, hey, can you take me to the range so I can understand this?
1: Nice. People...
4: Yeah, it's great. People are reaching out and saying, I need to understand. And even better, the Ninth Circuit of all circuits came out with a decision, I think it was last week, that said that you can't see the Second Amendment as second class, yeah. which is something that I've been saying a long time. I think as we educate people, we're going to see more people saying, hey, great, let's go learn about this and we'll see a flip within the party. That's what our group really works at, is education. That's what the Liberal Gun Club is all about. Well, let's educate people.
1: I love And that. let's
4: educate people on both how liberals think about the Second Amendment, but, but also the liberals that don't know. Because my feeling on it is this, if one side is telling you you don't belong here, mm-hmm. and one side is telling you
1: guns are bad, mm-hmm. what are you going to believe? Exactly. And you know uh, uh i think you have met Laura Carno she's a a lady who wrote a book called uh government ruins nearly everything and she is right down the middle with so many things and basically for her she takes things and she is plays devil devil's advocate on either side the conservative and the liberal side and she instead of just saying you know gun control, or instead of she's saying, you know, pro-life or whatever those phrases are, she breaks it into, well, so what does that mean? And so she talks about, if you are for personal freedoms, then be consistent across the board. And so maybe if we talked more about, you know, the thing behind the thing, you know, instead of it just being this bumper sticker, knee-jerk creating uh, phrase, like, gun control or the gun lobby, maybe we start talking about, well, what what is the purpose? What are we trying to do? We're trying to, you know, allow people to protect their their lives, and it's, it's about personal freedoms. What do you think about that? I think that's a really good start.
4: One of the things I think would be really helpful, too, that I see a lot in the press that frustrates me is that nobody talks about, at least on the liberal side, and, and we've started trying to do this quite a bit. Nobody talks about the sport side and I don't mean the hunting. I mean what so many of Cheryl and my friends engage in three gun mm-hmm. rim fire competition. You know it's like the athletic powder, side of it. The athletic side of it. Yeah. The the fun part of USPSA. Going out, going to the range, doing something, working at it as a skill, that's really what so many gun owners in the U.S. do, that's by far the biggest part of it here. And I think we've spoken about this on the show before, even in the liberal San Francisco Bay Area, I can't tell you how many ranges are within an hour and a half of my house because there's so many. And every time I go to the range that's about 15 minutes down the road that looks across the San Francisco
1: Bay, it's absolutely packed. I love it. Hey, we are up against a hard break. I hate to cut you short. Next time I bring you on, remind me you need two segments because we have so much more we need to talk about. And uh, We will do that. All right. And people can find you at theliberalgunclub.com? They can. And we welcome everybody to come and take a look and participate
4: on our boards, talk with us. We are all about building a dialogue, and we are all about
1: getting more and more people, regardless of their politics, into the firearms world. That is fantastic. And you are kind of a big deal right now. So you can also be looking for Lara on what's the next big uh, interview you're doing? I'm not
4: sure right now. Uh, The latest one to air was All Things Considered on
1: NPR on Christmas Day. And I'll send you a link for that. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Lara. And Happy New Year. Thank you, Cheryl and Dan. Bye-bye. All right, stick around. We got another full hour just on the other side of this commercial and this fun version of Auld Lang Syne. We have Lars Dale side of the NRA ILA and Minister Jazz. Minister Jazz is with the Black Guns Matter uh, organization, and she talks about conflict de-escalation. Great skill to have. Stick around.